The title of tonight's message is called Already Dead, uh, an India testimony. We're going to start out with a few pictures uh, just to kind of give you guys so you could see what happened, give you some stories, let you know what was going on. Uh, if we can get the lights. So I'll kind of explain what's going on as we go. We, we took quite a few panoramic shots on the trip because it's kind of hard to grasp everything in one shot. So uh, this is the top of Annan's house, uh, Annan Israel. He lives right in the middle of the neighborhood, and it's a, it's a great place to be. Our first day there, we, did, we just walked around in the marketplace, and we found that ministry followed us everywhere we went. Uh, this, that right in front of Annan's house, this is a Hindu temple. And we're walking by, and the, the dude speaks to us in English. And uh, we begin to tell him about Jesus. He, uh, like what we found in the rest of the country, um, he believed he was okay with Jesus. He believed Jesus was cool with his religion. And uh, we told him what the word says, and he got so offended that Nick Arizina was chasing him down, uh, asking him why he was running away as he was running away. <laughs> uh, here, this is just the same. The right, right around the corner, there's some kids uh, following us around. They're wanting to see what we're doing at first. And uh, as they come up to us, we laid hands on them. We started to pray for them. A man started speaking in tongues right as soon as we, uh, as soon as we laid hands on them on the streets. Um, these kids, they brought us into their churches. They, uh, they followed us around. They asked for prayer for almost anything uh, and everything. Here you can see Nick and Zeke trying to, mini trying to minister in the best uh, Tamil slash English we can come up with. Uh, I had to throw this one in so you can get a taste of India. This is, this is four people, a family of four on one moped right here. Uh, if, if you've never seen driving, uh, then you need to go to India. I mean, you'll never see driving like this. Uh, this is a bus I had to take a picture of. We were praising God that we were not in conditions like these riding with Ann, and he took care of us. This is the sign in front of uh, Love and Care Ministries. This is Ann and his father, Raja's church. This is the sign in front of their new church that we just dedicated while we were there. This is the church that we sent the money to uh, put the roof on the church. And when the flood came, as we've heard about, uh, this church was on a high ground. So people just ran right into the church and it saved, it actually saved lives. Um, go on, you can see, that's, you tilt a little bit to uh, do a, a 90 right there and you'll tell what that is. That, that's the outside of the church. This is the inside of the church. We were amazed at how nice this thing was. And uh, you, you couldn't help but be proud of Annan and his father for putting every dime and dollar that they got, they put it into the building that they wanted the Spirit of God to rest. Um, this is the nicest thing that they own. This is the nicest thing they will ever own. Uh, this is the team on the left. You see Annan. Uh, then you have Zeke, Nick, myself. And on the right is Annan's father, Raja. Annan's father, Raja, he, uh, he was passed down the ministry from his, his family and uh, uh, as soon as Annan was capable, he passed the ministry down on to Annan. So uh, they're, a, they're a dynamic duo. This is the, the baptismal in front of the church. It's Nick. It's another view right there. This is uh, Annan in front of the home he grew up in. This is right behind the church. Uh, he grew up in this home, and then the family decided to donate the land to, to uh, building a church on it. Uh, so here we are at the dedication. This is the choir. Uh, if any of you have been in India or any other country that was previously controlled by the British, you'll, you'll be familiar with choirs. Uh, 
This is, this is the church dedication. If you, if you see over on the right, this is, these are all the pastors of the branch churches that Annan uh, administers over. That's 17 pastors right there. They all traveled, some of them traveled as much as 10 hours to be there that day. This is Annan and his father. It's again, church dedication. We're in the middle of worship. There's a few, there's a few pics that are um, replicas, I guess you could say. Threw them in there for good measure. Um, Zeke ended up preaching that church dedication. Fantastic. He did a powerful job. Um, afterwards, people came to, to get prayed for. Uh, this on the, way out of, on the way out of Chennai, you see on the top of every mountain, there's a temple. There's a Hindu temple on the top of every mountain. Staircases that go up and everything. Uh, we, we, as seeing this, we, we could not wait till we can get to the top of a mountain and uh, uh, pray that the Holy Spirit blast that place. This is, a, this is one of our, our first meetings outside of Chennai. You can see it's a very small building. We preached on the power of God to do miracles, and the Holy Spirit fell in that place like, like you've never seen. Uh, these ladies, people came and got healed. Uh, ladies came and asked for prayer for their husbands because their husbands are not born again. Uh, we prayed for them, and the Lord would fill them with joy instantly. His Spirit would just fill them. This lady over to the left, she, after she got prayed for, she went to go get everybody she can think of and after we prayed for her husband, her husband, which is this man right there, came in, repented of his alcoholism, repented of his life without Christ, was his first time to walk into a church building and committed to following Jesus for his entire life. So they brought, they brought us into their home after, and you can see they're, they're <laughs> full of joy. Uh, this is Nick preaching at a, a, a family pastor's meeting. Uh, he preached on uh, the marriage counseling that we receive. And afterwards, pastors and their wives came to get prayed for so that they can be empowered to lead out of their home, uh, which, is, which is a hard thing to do. You know, how, how many of you in a pastor's conference want to openly admit that you're struggling in your marriage? <laughs> that's, that's what's going on. Pastors are coming up and asking us to pray for them. Uh, this, this man, we preached on persecution one Sunday morning. He came up and said, you know what? As soon as I got born again, I've been persecuted like you wouldn't believe. And I didn't understand why. And, and, and I came today and I showed up and now I know exactly what the Lord is doing in my life. Uh, he was blessed. We had one Hindu girl. She was 16 years old. She came up to get prayed for by Nick. Uh, Nick told her, are you willing to remove that, that mark, the Hindu mark? She said, you know what? I'll get beat without it. If I go home, I'll get beat. And he said, are you willing to, to lose that mark for Jesus? And she responded with a clean swipe. Wiped it off right there in front of Nick. Nick laid hands on her. She got full of the Holy Ghost and spoken tongues just like that. N never, never even confessed Christ before in her life. Um, this is another home meeting Nick preached at. Uh, afterwards, we had miracles uh, out the roof. This young girl next to Nick, that's the pastor's daughter. For the first time, she prayed for people to get healed as we grabbed her hand, put it on people, people's legs, and she got so so. Uh, fired up that she began to pray for everybody in the room. She was bringing people in to get prayed for, like left and right. Uh, here you can see again, this is uh, that, that man over there, the young man with the glasses, that's uh, David. This is Babu's son. Babu is a man that is called to work with Annan and Raja. We're waiting for that to, to happen. Uh, this is, this is uh, Zeke with Babu right there. Uh, standing in front of the bus that they rented to, uh, to drive the choir 10 hours so they can be at the pastor's conference. Uh, this is the entire gang that, that came in the bus. You see Raja next to Zeke. See Annan over there to the right. 
uh, all everybody in there is family. They're all they're, they minister from their family. Uh, this this is not just showing off photography skills. This is Nick looking down uh, at Yanni Palam. Yanni Palam is is known. It's called in Tamil. What it means is Valley of the Elephants. Uh, down there are churches that Annan started that have never heard the gospel before. And Annan walked down there and uh, through him and his father's ministry and uh, many trips from LCMF, there have been church, churches started there. Uh, Annan said a month after we left, he is going to go back down into that valley uh, in a couple weeks and he's going to go look for some more churches. Um, this is another meeting we did in a home. This is Nick. Uh, he's teaching the children. Zeke playing with... Uh, one of the young children. Uh, at this meeting, we uh, Zeke taught the word of God. Uh, there was a man came in. He was drunk as, as, as just one of the drunkest guys I'd ever been around. You could smell it off his clothes. And we began to, to pray for him that the weightiness of the spirit would fall on him. And, and he began to lose his breath. He began to like almost ha- have problems breathing. And he fell down on his knees and uh, looked up to heaven and started crying out to Jesus. Uh, for Jesus to save him, and he he changed right there, got sober completely in the Holy Spirit. It was amazing. Uh, as we were driving, we found this thing on the side of the road. This is um, this is a a a, a temple, a shrine, a uh, an idol that the Hindus assembled and put put it on wheels. And what we were told is that that thing is so heavy it takes a thousand Indians to pull it with ropes. And uh, what what inevitably happens is. That thing is so heavy that it's so hard to stop when they pull it from village to village that it, it will inevitably kill Indians. And the Indians believe that anything that that thing kills, that's a sacrifice to the gods. So they start praising God when this thing runs over their friends. Uh, they, they said it's run over uh, old women, widows, children, everything and in between. You can see the satanic power that Hinduism has over the people. We heard stories about their temples. They would throw children into the temples, lock the doors, and the next morning, the children would be dead, and that would be a pleasing sacrifice to the gods. And yet, we have people willing to challenge us that we cannot uh, speak down about other religions. I promise you, every other thing besides Christ is a demonic variant that is not the truth, and it causes death anywhere you see it. Amen. Anywhere you see it. Uh, this man is an 84-year-old pastor that we visited. He, uh, right, when you see him right here, he's laying hands on Anan and Raja. Anan and Raja. Li- literally grabbed his hands, stuck them on their heads, and asked him to pray. He's been in ministry for 60 years, and we sat there and listened to him talk about the Word of God. And I tell you, there's, no, there's, there's not many treats like that in the world. He says that he, that man was praying at the end of the trip that he would stay alive another year so that he can hear you guys from LCMF preach at his church. Uh, here we are, just taking a group photo. Uh, <laughs> this right here is St. Thomas Cathedral. It's in Chennai. This cathedral was built on the site where Thomas the Apostle is buried. Thomas the Apostle traveled all the way down from India. You can read the inscription right here. Thomas the Apostle traveled all the way down to India preaching the gospel. He was martyred, and they buried him here. And then years later, uh, a, cath- uh, a Catholic cathedral was erected on the site of his tomb. We thought it, how funny would it be the day that resurrection comes when he is going to wake up to see this load uh, <laughs> over his tomb. Uh, and, you'll, and, and you'll appreciate that later. I'll, I'll show you why. Uh, this is Annan and this is his wife, Pearl. 
Now, this thing was parked right behind the, the cathedral. And if you can get a closer look, can anyone tell me what that is? It's a shrine on it's a shrine on top of a cart. It's a Catholic shrine on top of wheels. It's funny. You kind of wonder who copied who in this. You know? Uh, it, it's like they're both controlled by the same power. Uh, here we are in this in this uh, picture. Annan's taking us up to a very special spot of his. <laughs> this one's for you, Zeke. You, he took my phone and he took a selfie with it and he thought he could get away with it. So I got you, Zeke. Hope you're watching this. This is Annan uh, sitting on a rock and Annan wanted to take us to the most special place to him and this is the place that he prays. This is the place that he seeks God's face. He took us up to this place and uh, we begin to pray together. We begin to reach out our hands. Uh, down there, you'll, you could see a village. He begin, we begin to reach out our hands and claim that valley for the gospel. So now that brings us, that night after we prayed over, over that entire valley, we came into uh, Kanur, which is a town uh, kind of like, I would say maybe 100,000 100, strong. It's got a pretty good sized city square. You can't, this one's kind of hard to see through. This is a panoramic shot. And right there, this is a giant idol that, that has been erected in the middle of the square and people are gathered all around this thing. Uh, it, the music that was going on sounded somewhat like, a, like an Islamic chant, if you will. And the people are around this thing uh, just kind of taking videos, kind of worshiping, standing around watching. And you can see how twisted this thing looks. This is one of the Hindu gods. In his left hand, he has a, a lion on a leash. In his right hand, he has a trident with a man dead on the prongs. Uh, the crowd was just... Uh, ablaze. They were lit. Uh, Nick, Zeke, and I, we saw this going on, and we decided we wanted to go down there. Uh, you know, we've, we've done stuff like this on the streets. You just, you get so pinned up in anger after being around these idols and Hindu gods and everything, Muslim, Islam, Muslims, everything in between. You get so tired of seeing this. And then you come home after praying, and you see this going on in the city square. It's a little bit aggravating. It's a little bit... Uh, um, get you irate. Is that the last one? So what we decided to do, you can go ahead and kill the music. What Nick, Zeke, and I decided to do is we decided to go down and see what happens. <laughs> of course, like typical LCMF fashion, we, uh, we grabbed our Bibles. We, uh, we wanted to make a public spectacle of uh, who we were and what we were there for. Um, we grabbed our Bibles. We went down to the square. The crowd, the crowd was crazy. Um, we went there, just kind of scoped it out a little bit, uh, took some video. Uh, Annan and Raja, they dropped us off, told us to meet them back at a, a restaurant at 9.30. It was 8.30 when they dropped us off. Uh, they kind of left, went around to us, and uh, we found out that you can go into the middle of a Hindu festival. We later learned that this was their once-a-year festival that, that happens. This would be like a 4th of July celebration to them or something. And we found out that you can go into the middle of a Hindu festival, demonic as I'll get out, uh, walk right into the middle of the thing, grab your Bibles right up in the air, and scream the name of Jesus as loud as you can, and the demonic powers will be stirred. Will be stirred. Within minutes, within minutes of us shouting the name of Jesus as loud as we can, praying in tongues as loud as we can, uh, anybody that came up to us, laying our hands on them and praying in tongues as loud as we can, 
we found out that the spiritual powers were not happy. Uh, immediately, the crowd began to converge, converge on us. Uh, they began to surround us. Um, Nick was to my right. Zeke was kind of behind me, s- straight back. Um, we, one, one Hindu man began to facilitate. He began to uh, kind of stir up the crowd, if you will. He, he came up to us angry. You could see anger in his eyes, and he, he started saying, no, 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 you cannot be here. We said, well, we love Jesus, and that's why we're here. He says, no Jesus here. No Jesus. We said, well, we love Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is great. These gods are demonic. These are false. Um, we, we said that all over the place. We, we preached Jeremiah 10, 11 anywhere we could. Jeremiah 10, 11 says, tell those gods they are not gods at all. There is one God who created heaven and earth. Uh, we, we quoted that everywhere we went. Uh, while, we were, while we were kind of making this, while this was going on, a man uh, and his daughter came up to us. He came up to us and he said, hey, I just, he came up behind us, tapped on her shoulder, said, hey, I just want you to know I'm a Christian. You know, I love Jesus. Uh, looked over at his daughter and she had a Hindu mark on her forehead. I said, well, what is that? And he looked like stunned, like, whoa, didn't consider that said, that's of the devil. This is not of God. What are you doing here? And he began to, I looked at shame, uh, shame got all over his face. And uh, he walked away with his daughter, kind of like that. And as, he, as they were leaving, his daughter kind of wiped it off and walked away. Um, as the crowd was getting crazier, the police jumped in. They kind of pulled us away. We decided that we needed to find Annan as quick as possible. They began to ask us questions. Uh, uh, several things were were there by God's grace. Otherwise, uh, they were telling us that if if you do not stop uh, preaching Jesus, we're going to beat you. Um, had the police not been there, that would have happened. Had Annan been with us, that would have happened because uh, we did not know that it was strictly forbidden by law to interrupt a Hindu festival. Annan does know that. So we were given grace in these matters. Um, that We began to talk to the police. The police told us you need to get out of here as quick as you can. We did. We left. Um, we went, as we were going to our vehicles to leave, the, the angry Hindus were following us and the police were kind of protecting us. And as we got into the car, the same man that came up to us earlier came up to me and said, hey, just want you to know that I'm the police chief and uh, I'm, I'm a Christian. And at that, we didn't really have much else to say. We got, kind of got in the car as the police pushed us in. So you'll never know where you find, there's a good testimony, you never know where you'll find someone that needs to be encouraged. And you never know how your sufferings will encourage somebody else to rise up. Um, and that's kind of where we're going to get into the Word tonight. Throughout, through all of that, um, it was impactful. Um, I spent a lot of time on the streets. Uh, Friday nights used to go out with the guys, witnessing the mantras. We've had everything in front of us. We've had guys uh, get metal chairs and and literally were about an inch away from hitting us, and you just stand there. If Jesus tells you to go, Jesus tells you to minister there. You don't run. Uh, we've had we've had times on on the sidewalks in F bar where I've had to duck because I slightly look over and there's a man ready to hit me. It's like I haven't. It's 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 not like I haven't been prepared for this. But in that moment, I think that was the closest that I have ever gotten to publicly being beaten for the gospel. It's the closest I've ever gotten. And um, 
And I say that with a little bit of, uh, a little bit of, uh, I don't know. It affected me, and it affected me because when we left and and through, when that was going on, uh, there was something in me that I don't know if I was ready for that. I can't say. Uh, I I praise God for Nick because Nick stood there like a champ. Nick stood there. He said he felt the Holy Ghost fall on him, and he was drunk in the Holy Ghost in a, in a in a second. He he was ready for it, and I was a little bit unsure of what the outcome was going to be. I was a little bit nervous, to be honest. Um, and in that moment, I didn't know if I was ready for that. Uh, afterwards, I didn't know if I was ready for that either. It kind of it. We, we spent a time at dinner after that just kind of talking what's going, talking about what's going on. Annan, Annan is such a man of God, he looks over at us from across the table and says, you know, I was watching you guys. I dropped you off and I was watching you. And uh, now you know if you want to come back and minister here. Now you know. Um, you know, I thought about how, how uh, easily I rose my hand. I, I raised my hand whenever Eric said, who wants to go to India? You know, I thought about how easily I did that. And then right after that, I thought, man, that, I didn't think that this would happen when I rose my hand. I didn't think it would happen. Thought about, you know, here I am, however old I am now. Surely, I'm, 20, I'm young. Surely, that if this is happening now while I'm young, what is it going to mean in the future? If this is happening to this magnitude now for us, what does it mean in the future? And those thoughts begin to come. Am I going to be ready? Am I going to be ready? You know, this is LCMF. This, is, this doesn't just, it's not, it's not a one-time event that this is going to happen. This is only going to increase. You know, next year there's going to be a trip to India. There's going to be trips to other parts of the world that are dangerous, and sure enough, it's going to happen. And I thought to myself, will I be ready? That's a, that's a, it's a very uh, sobering question to ask yourself. Are you going to be ready? Let's open to Matthew 26, 36. Title of tonight's message is Dead Already. Got the title of a message out of a, a movie I saw. The movie takes place in, during the Allied invasion of France in 1944. And there were American soldiers that just fought an intense battle. They had, they had buddies that died, friends that they knew very well that had been killed right next to them. And there were, there were, in the scene, it showed a few young guys in a foxhole. And they're noting a particular captain that they, that they have seen, that they've heard rumors about. They're noting this particular captain, and they're noting his bravery, his courage. And they're, they're talking about all the stories they've heard of him. They're saying, man, this guy, he is fearless. He is a fearless captain. But what they didn't realize is that captain was listening. He was eavesdropping in on the conversation. He walks over to the foxhole. He gets down on a knee, and they're kind of stunned. It's kind of like this, you know, he's so stoic. He's so heroic, and he's talking with us. It'd be like John Wayne came, you know, decided to give you a little bit of counseling on how to be brave. And he looks down at these young uh, privates, corporals, these young, young guys. He looks down at them. He says, you know what? You know what your problem is? You know why you're not so brave and courageous? Because you don't realize that you're dead already. You don't realize you're already dead. You don't realize that there's no hope you're getting out of this. That makes it easier. Because then you can fight without reserve for your life. You can fight without uh, the thought of keeping anything for yourself. 
Let's go to Matthew 26, verse 36. We're going to read quite a bit. But I want you to really capture something that is, that is uh, archived here in the Word of God forever. This is here for a reason. This is something that we, we, we strive to live out, live out every day. This is something that we, we would not be here unless this was here, this account. This is everything that the gospel is. This is everything that you need to be. This is everything that you should live for and everything that has been played out so you can live. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over here, over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may his cup, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. You have to wonder, what was his will? What was Jesus' will in that moment? He knew the father's will and what was going to happen, and yet he's praying that the father's will would proceed over his own. You have to wonder what was going through his mind. Uh, Jesus, Jesus even said when Pilate questioned him, he said, or, when he, yeah, when he was being questioned, he said, I can, at my command, I can call down legions of angels and they'll come to my rescue. You, you kind of wonder what the other possibilities were. And yet he submitted himself. He submitted himself to the Father. Verse 40, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked. Verse 41, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into, into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. He prayed three times the same thing. Three times. It's interesting, when you pray three times, you're, you're pretty... Um, you're pretty overtaken with what's going on if you have to pray the same thing three times. And Jesus is in a position where His closest disciples, the men that He should count on the most, were failing. They couldn't even pray with Him. He was about to go to be crucified, and yet they couldn't even stay with Him during the prayer time. They were about, he was about to go do the most intense ministry, if you will, and yet His disciples couldn't even live up to the prayer time before. How, how must it feel for a man of God when his own disciples can't even stay up, don't even have the zeal to pray together with him? Here we find Jesus in a position where he is a, he's about to be abandoned by everyone. The, the shepherd is about to be struck and the sheep will scatter. And here he is praying and he is sorrowful to the point of death and his disciples can't even hang with him. Verse 45 then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judah said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Here Jesus, 
His food has been to do the will of God his entire ministry. He has not had one stray thought. He has not had one false motivation in him. And yet he is, he is having soldiers come to him with swords and clubs as if he was leading a rebellion. Can you imagine how you would feel in that moment? If you had given everything you could to minister to the people God called you to, to be with, and yet they come to you with swords and clubs as if you were uh, trying to lead some sort of a, a military operation, as if you were trying to cause an uprising. While he was still speaking, we already read this, verse 50, Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. The men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Without, with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for a sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Jesus tells him to put his sword back. At, in verse 55, Jesus tells him, The same thing. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. We go down to verse 57. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. Here comes the moment. The big moment. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they can put him to death. You kind of wonder what Peter was thinking in this moment. You th- maybe in Peter's mind there was some sort of hope that maybe Jesus would get away with it. I mean, after all, they've been looking for a way to kill him. Uh, he slipped right through the cl- crowds plenty of times. You know, he escaped death many times. They sought to stone him and he would miraculously escape. Maybe he'll escape this one. And yet what happens when you see men delivering false evidence against him what is your temptation when men try to give false evidence against you do you try to retaliate of course it's a human nature just you want justice to be done in your own case every time it it stings when just an injustice is done towards you and we see the savior not speaking a word he knows that they're going to condemn them he knows where he's going he knows the cross that they're going to put him on and yet he is submitted to the father Submitted. Verse 62. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is the testimony that these these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. He didn't offer any argument for himself. He committed himself to the men who were about to crucify him. He knew what they were going to do. He knew what they were going to do. Let's watch Jesus, the captain of our faith, as he continues to minister. The high priest said to, the, to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Verse 64, Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He tells them the truth. He tells them the truth. Jesus said He can't speak anything unless, he's, unless His Father tells Him what to say. And yet He is being charged for speaking the Father's words. A great injustice. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. He is worthy of death. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? 
You try to picture yourself in the ministry that you're called to do. You try to picture yourself in the ministry that that God's going to give you one day, the vision He showed you. But it's hard to imagine at the end of your vision that the men that you try to minister to will turn on you. That the people you try to minister to will turn on you. Happened to Thomas. Thomas was preaching in India and the people that he tried to minister to turned on him. We were preaching in India and the people that we're trying to minister to turned. When you're faced with that kind of circumstance, can you imagine what it must feel like to be all alone for doing the very thing that God has told you to do? All alone. The disciples left him. His best friends left him. There was nobody. And yet, not his will, but the Father's will be done. Let's skip to verse 11 of of chapter 27. We're going to read about Jesus before Pilate. Verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? you got to think, man, maybe he'll find mercy at the governor's hand. Maybe the governor might be a good man. Maybe he might find some uh, truth in what's going on. He asked him if he's the king of the Jews. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replies. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply. Not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they handed Jesus over to him. Pilate knew what was going on the entire time. He knew what was going on. He knew that the, that the Jews hated Jesus so much, therefore they handed him over to kill him. And he, he was aware of the whole scheme. And Jesus is being traded out for a murderer and a robber. At the end of his ministry, he's being sold out. Everything he did, all the miracles he did, everything, it all results in him being traded out for a robber and a murderer. He's left alone. He's falsely accused. He's, he's suffering from injustice. And now he's being traded out for a criminal. Verse 21. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? He asked. Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The governor has the power. The governor has the power to take Jesus and say, you know what? He's not guilty. I'm not going to crucify him because he's not guilty. And it would be unjust for me to do it. Unjust. And so therefore, I'm going to release him under the guard of the Roman, the Roman legion. He could have done that. And instead, instead, he offers over the Savior of the world to be crucified at the washing of his hands. A simple gesture, a simple gesture charged the Savior with death. 
Verse 26, then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. You see, we're all aware of this. We're all aware that this occurred to Jesus. We're all aware that Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24 through 25, we're aware that Jesus said, whoever loses his life finds it. And whoever tries to save his life will lose it. We're aware that he says, if anyone uh, wants to be my disciple, let him take up his cross and follow me. We're aware of those things. But it doesn't really hit home until it's happening. Until it's happening. And we know that we're called to live out that ministry. You know how I know that? Look at the mission trips that are going on. I signed up to go to India just like anybody, just like any of you did. Most of you did. And that one trip could have, could have been the last one there. And I'm not, say, I'm not trying to say this to say, oh, how great we are. To be honest, I was, I was a little bit afraid. I, had, I felt like I had some things to lose. That's why I didn't know if I was ready. It reminded me of Acts 19, verse 23. Let's go to Acts 19. Let's jump right on over. We're going to rifle through Acts 19. Verses 23, we'll start at verse 23. Say there when you're there. It says, About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, Men, you know we received a good income from this business. And you see... And hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in, and in practically the whole providence of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be credited, will be discredited. And the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. Man, this reminded me of exactly what happened right there in Kenur. We begin to preach that, that these gods are no gods at all, that Jesus is the true God. And you have to ask yourself, Paul was faced with the same situation. Read a few chapters earlier. He, he's faced with the same situation, with the same situation over and over every town he went to. Every mission trip he was on, he, he was faced with the same situation. And so you have to ask yourself, how many villages is it going to take in India until you finally reach that day when it's the last day? How many mission trips can you go on in LCMF until you finally reach the last one? How many times can you see people that are worshiping a false god who are worshiping the devil? How many times can you see that, feel the zeal of God rise up in your heart. Go out there and preach the truth. How many times can you do that without getting crucified? See, it's not in us to back down. It's not in us to back down from a fight. That's not who we are. That's not what we're called to be. We're not called to back down from a fight. We're called to, to run at it head on. But how do you win? How do you face the last time? How do you go to your crucifixion? And that, that struck me. The next morning when I woke up, how do, how do you do this, Lord? How do you do this and do it like you did it? How do you go to your own crucifixion when, when everybody's abandoned you? When your closest friends aren't even with you? Not, maybe not because they left you, but because they can't be with you. 
How do you do it when your family's all the way around the world? And the Lord told me you do it when you put it into practice every day. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 11.25. 2 Corinthians 11.25. Paul's talking about his sufferings. Here we're going to start seeing some repetition in Paul's life. Obviously, one time turned into two times, and two times turned into five times, and five times turned into ten times, and that turned into a lifestyle full of being crucified daily. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the present pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? He's, he goes on to say that if, he, if he's going to boast, he's going to boast in his weakness. Maybe because all of those trials taught him that it's not his strength that carries him. It's his weakness and his dependency upon Christ. But you, you kind of read through those things and it doesn't it sound like a year worth of missions in LCMF? I mean, it does. And I'm proud, I'm proud that the Lord brought us and my family to this church, but I know that you can't stick around here long and, and not suffer. You can't do it. It's not possible. It is not possible to want to go on these mission trips and not suffer. I'll tell you the truth. Next year, Annan is hoping that we come right back to, to India. And it's not in our nature to back down if we see that same Hindu festival there again. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. Let's look at how Paul was able to suffer the things he did. Because that's the question that's in play. What's it going to take for us on the last day of our lives if we, are, if we are being crucified for the gospel, or maybe we won't lose our lives, but maybe we'll be in a, a situation where we are so persecuted or we are so, fate, uh, we're so entrenched in trials and difficulties because of what it cost us to stay where God has called us. All of us will go through that. None of you are exempt. If you want to stay in God's will, you will suffer. This is not a mystery. It says it in uh, 2 Timothy 4.16, anyone who who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. I think that's the scripture. Will be persecuted. If you want to live a godly life, if you want to follow Jesus, you will either face persecutions or do that and face trials. You'll face sickness. You'll face the loss of, of loved ones. You'll face family members hating you. You'll face everything and in between. It's all right here in the gospel. Galatians 2.20. In Galatians, Paul... We're going to see it several times in Galatians that Paul considered himself. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The very life he lived, he did not live it for himself. He says elsewhere, it, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ means that every day your life 
is a perfect, broken vessel for Christ to work its way out of, work his way out of. As a Christian, the very purpose of your being is for you to be dead to yourself so that Christ may live in you, so that Christ may live through you. There's a great, there's a great tragedy that occurs in the Christian walk is when you forget this principle. When you forget that you, you are called to live crucified daily and you forget about that. You just forget. You, we, you know, you can even pray things in the morning. You can get up and pray in the morning and say, Lord, let me be crucified today. Let me be crucified. And then when an opportunity comes for you to crucify yourself and glorify God, you don't do it because you've forgotten. You've just forgotten that that's what it means to be a Christian. And the word Christian was attributed to people that their surrounding people said that they were so Christ-like, they called them a name to identify them as Christ-like Christians. It wasn't a name given to themselves. It was to identify them that they were Christ-like. Your life is supposed to be a crucified life. And I'll say another, this is another truth. You will not be living life if you're not crucified. That's just, that's just the truth. You'll go on as empty as can be, wondering what the next step is, wondering, oh God, where are you? Have, why have you left me? Uh, I haven't heard your voice. And what, you're, what you don't realize is that you're called to be living a crucified life. You realize that, the, that you failed at the moment before when you something of the world caught your eye. And instead of you laying it down, you entertained it for a little while. And it blinded, it, it blurred your vision. In Galatians 6.14, let's read that one. Galatians 6.14, May I never boast in the, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Crucifixion becomes easy when the world no longer has a hold on you. When you are crucified to the world, it is easy to lay down your life because you're not entertained by the things that you see around you. You know, it's so easy to get wrapped up in just the simple things. I ask myself, Lord, why do I spend so much time on Facebook? You know what the real answer is? Because part of me still loves the world. Part of me is still entertained by the things I see on there. Lord, why do we spend so much time, uh, you know, entertaining ourselves? I quoted A.W. Tozer once. A.W. Tozer said, you know how much God you have by how much entertainment you need. Why do I spend so much time in entertainment? It's probably because uh, there's something tickling me from the world that I, I kind of enjoy. Paul reckoned himself crucified to the world. And when he reckoned himself that, it was easier for him to be crucified by men. Galatians 5.24 Galatians 5.24 Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. The struggle with crucifixion we struggle with crucifixion it's because we struggle with our own flesh. Crucifixion is perhaps the most uncomfortable thing for a human to, to go through. It's because it involves you laying down your will and, ta and taking up the will of the Father. Like Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Knowing exactly what you are supposed to lay down is a challenging thing because you know that 
Not only do you know, you're attracted to the very thing. And it could be a physical thing. It could be an attitude. It could be a situation that you want to respond the way that your flesh would like to respond. Perhaps you're, you're a little bit rebellious to, to, to a boss-like figure or an authority-type figure in the home. You know, I thought about this that morning when I woke up from, from uh, being on the streets in a Hindu festival. I thought about it. You know what makes going through a crucifixion easier? It's when you live a crucified life. And living a crucified life spills out and pours out to every area of your life. Living a crucified life means being crucified in your marriage. It means being crucified to your your workplace. It means being crucified to your dreams, your goals, your visions. It means being crucified to everything that you want to do. And you're, you're a clean slate for the Lord to work through. And it's easier prayed, I'll tell you, that it's easier prayed in the morning while you're not in a trial. It's easier, it's easier prayed in the morning when you're doing devotions and you're not right in front of a trial. Where you actually walk it out is when you're in the trial and you, and you clearly see, Lord, and you're looking for the opportunity, Lord, how can I glorify you in this? And how can it cost me? How can it cost me to where I can show that you are glorious, you are good, you are worth living for? How can I give myself up to show that you are worth following for? That's what crucifixion is. That's what crucifixion looks like, is when you are in the moment and you are struggling with your flesh, you're struggling with your own situation, your own dreams, your own whatever the Lord is calling you to lay down, you're struggling with it and you willingly choose, not my will, but your will, Lord. Crucifixion is beautiful when you're looking for it. When you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, give me the opportunity. Give me the opportunity to lay down my desires for your desires. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature. Let's go to Romans 6.11. Romans 6.11. Say there when you're there. We're going to jump back to Romans 6 later on, but I want you to catch this in the the, uh, last part of this little paragraph. Romans 6.11 In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. We're not going to teach on law versus grace. It's a teaching that you need to be well versed in because we don't want anyone to get confused. The law is perfect. We are imperfect. We are not under a different dispensation of grace that is, that is proceeding over the law. The Lord frees us from our sinful nature so that we can walk out the law and be obedient to it. Is everybody on the same page? But the point in this is, in the same way, as Christ died, we're supposed to consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. We're supposed to consider, it starts in your mind, we're supposed to consider in our minds that we are dead to sin. And we know sin by the good that we know we ought to do and we don't do it, the bad that we know we ought not to do and yet still do it. Those things are all sin. All sin. We're supposed to count ourselves completely dead to those things and alive to Christ. It says in here, do not offer do not offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of, un- of wickedness. 
Think about the parts of your body for a second. You know, you can do a lot of things with just your mouth, the way you speak to people, the way you, the way you retaliate to people, the way you speak to your wives, wives, how you speak to your husbands, husbands, how you speak to your wives. The Lord calls us to be crucified in those areas just as well. The Lord calls us to be crucified in, in us going our own way, getting what we want out of every situation and, and laying that and saying, no, not my will, your will. We offer parts of our body to righteousness when we actively begin to do God's will over our will. Let's talk about, we're going to talk about Paul and this mindset, considering yourself dead to sin. Philippians 4.12, if you turn there with me. Philippians 4.12, Paul shares a little secret. And this verse might be looked over a lot. I'll just, it's a very, uh, very overlooked Philippians 4.12 I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Paul learned the secret of being content probably because he considered himself dead in every situation he was in. Whether he ate it was, to, it, was, it was to the glory of God. And whether he didn't eat, it was to the glory of God. He learned the secret of being content. There's another scripture in here where Paul says, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's great gain, folks. Listen to that. Great gain. You know, this Christian life is not supposed to be lived, uh, it's not supposed to be lived lacking joy and lacking, lacking um, satisfaction. The problem is, is we find our satisfaction in the wrong things. We find our satisfaction in the world. And that leaves you, it's, it's like fool's gold. It leaves you, looks great at first, but it leaves you empty after. Your, your sinful desires look good at first. It's appealing to want to cave into them, but they leave you completely empty afterwards. In our daily life, you know, we're talking about sin, and, and some of you in your minds you are probably thinking about, you know, habitual sin and things that you're struggling with. But think about the time where you missed it when you should have done God's will and you didn't. Instead, you just stayed where you wanted to because you were either lazy or you just didn't want to do it. You didn't want to act on it. You wanted your will over God's will. Think about those, those times. Laying down your life, being content with little, ought to bring you great gain. You ought to be satisfied when you get the opportunity to lay it all down. And yet, the mindset is not so much that, is it? And many so-called Christians that we see, you know, they say they could, we can quote scripture so much. We can preach just as well as anybody. We can listen to the best worship songs and yet be a miserable, empty, half life, half void human. And because we're not living the life God has called us to be. And I'll tell you another thing too. So many people sacrifice without joy. And they do it because their hearts are not in it. They do it because they truly do not love doing God's will. They sacrifice. They sacrifice all day long. As the day is long, they sacrifice. But they're not happy. You know why? Because they're doing something that they don't want to do. They're begrudgingly obeying God. 
How many times do you see that in the scriptures? How many times do you see God call out the people of Israel and say, I'm not pleased with your sacrifices. I'm not pleased with your festivals and your your feasts because your hearts are far from me. You need to take you need to take assessment of your life through the word. And you need to you need to ask yourself, do I have joy in sacrifice? Do I am I full of satisfaction in giving away or do I secretly just do it, you know, to kind of show that I'm a little bit involved and yet inwardly I I I resist it. You need to ask yourself that. The happiest people you will ever meet in the world are people that give everything away. You know you know that? And you want to know the most miserable people in the world? People that hold things to themselves. That try to reserve their own time for themselves. That try to reserve, no, this is my time and I'm not letting anybody come into my time. This is my bubble, this is my house, and nobody's coming over tonight. Those are the most miserable people in the world. It's because they they it's because they're not they're not walking with Christ. They're not walking as he walked. And I found that the the happiest people in the world are the ones that just give everything away. The ones that give freely and freely and they don't think anything of it. They they think about their houses as, this is, yeah, we we sleep here, but this isn't my house. This house is for ministry. This house is for people to be blessed through. They think about their finances as, God has given me this so that I can bless others. They think about their cars and the things that they have for the being of others. And you have to ask yourself, what are you, what are, what am I doing with all the, all of this? Am I hoarding it to myself or am I giving it in sacrifice? Am I giving it in sacrifice? You have to ask where your heart is tonight. Do you have great joy in sacrifice? Or does it kind of scare you a little bit? Does it, do you, do you resent it? Do you relent at, at the opportunity to crucify yourself? Paul said he learned to be content. That's a, he said, I, I have learned the secret of being content. It's a great secret to learn. It would, we would do well to go into our, our prayer closets and say, Lord, teach me how to be content with, with little, Father. Teach me how to be content with what I have. Teach me how to be content with what you've given me. We've learned a lesson from our brothers, the Israelites, that they were, they, were, they were saved out of Egypt, and yet their hearts were still not content. They kept wanting more and more and more. They didn't enjoy, they didn't enjoy the sacrifice. But turn with me to Exodus 7, 16. We're going to see uh, a, a purpose God had in bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. Exodus 7, 16. This is Lord telling Moses what to say to Pharaoh. And he said, Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you. Let my people go, so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now you have not listened. The Lord told Moses to tell Pharaoh, Let my people go, so that they may worship in the desert. The Lord was bringing the people into the desert so that they could worship. It even says later on in Deuteronomy, he did it so that he could test their hearts to see what was in it. But isn't that just the the saddest thought in the world that the Lord brought them to a place where, where they could worship? He brought them to a place where they can come to the end of themselves so that they could freely worship him, so that they could see him with clear eyes. 
And isn't it sad to see that their hearts were so entangled in their own sin, their hearts were so entangled in their own flesh, in their own wants, in their own will, that they were so obstinate as to slap God in the face and say, you know what, it was better back in Egypt. Isn't that interesting? And yet we do the very same thing. The Lord brought them to a place where their flesh could be crucified because he probably knew that they would be better off without that flesh. (laughs) He probably knew their spirits would be better off. He brought brought them to a place where he could mold them. He brought them to a place where he would give them opportunity to lay down their desires, and they didn't take it. And how many times has the Lord put us in a position where we have the opportunity to be crucified, where we have the opportunity to worship him in truth and I'll tell you, this is, this is one thing I'll say. Worshiping the Lord in truth is better done in the midst of trials. How do you know you're worshiping the Lord in truth when you're so satisfied and comfortable? You know, I heard a, I heard a preacher say one time, you know, he was telling a story about how there was a person who was sick and, you know, they were normally a happy person, normally full of joy around their workplace. And then one week they were just really sick uh, because they were sick, they haven't eaten, and they were just a nasty person that week. You know, they just had a bad attitude towards everything. And somebody, man, what has gotten into you? What's wrong with you? You're normally a joyful person. You're normally a, you know, you're normally a really happy person. What's, what's the matter? And the person responded, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just not myself this week. You see what they're saying is, you know, I'm not myself this week because I have health taken from me. I've got my food taken from me. I've got all these crutches that I live with taken from me. I would argue that no, that's exactly who they are right there. That's exactly who they are standing right before you. How do you know you're worshiping the Lord in truth when you've got everything comforting you, everything propping you up, everything, your riches, our, our, our comfortability, nobody's persecuting us. There, there, there are no laws in America yet that say that if we interrupt Hindu festivals that we can be uh, subject to prison. How do we know we're worshiping the Lord in truth? How do we know that our eyes are not blinded by our own comforts? The Lord brought them out in the desert to worship. So ask yourself, where are you tonight? Are you in a desert? Are you in a place where the Lord could be putting you on a cross so that you can learn to worship Him in truth? Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. This is an interesting... uh, an interesting statement that the Lord makes. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. He sets before them life and death, gives them the opportunity, choose life or death. You know which way is life? Crucifixion. Crucifixion to your own will and your own desire and obeying the commandments of the Lord. Many of you know that being obedient to the commands doesn't always feel like life, but they do bring life. Being obedient to the commands of the Lord is not always easy. And the Lord knows it. The Lord set it that way for a reason. Being obedient to the commands, it's not always the easiest thing to do. The easiest thing would be disobedient, but that brings destruction. That brings death. Life comes from crucifixion. When we set aside our wills and we begin to take up the Lord's commands, we begin to take up the Lord's will in everything we do. It says the same thing in Psalm 19, verse 7 through 8. Go with me there. 
Psalm 19, 7-8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving, giving what? Joy. Giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. If any of you in here and you struggle with joy, you know what the answer is? The answer is not that you need to go on a vacation. The answer is not that you need to go home and watch Netflix for a night with your, you know. The night is, the, the, the answer is not that you get away from everything and you kind of seclude yourself away from all of your troubles. You know what's going to happen if you do that? You're going to escape them for a moment and come right back where you left off. If you're struggling with joy tonight, if you're walking in the house of God, if you're trying to sacrifice, if you're trying to walk out this calling and you don't have joy, you find the joy in the commandments. You find the joy in doing. You find the joy in sacrifice. You don't find it in, in, in keeping yourself keeping yourself you know, safe and comfortable. You find it in sacrifice. If you need joy tonight, what you, it, what you need to do is you need to come down to the cross and you need to sacrifice. You need to offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice to say, no more, Lord. No more, Lord. I want to be with you. I want to be where you are at. See, with sacrifice comes, comes everything. It comes what you were born for. You were made to, to do this. This is what you were made for. With, with, right after sacrifice, immediately comes joy. The joy of knowing that you are doing like your father wants you. The joy of knowing that you are, being, you are being as obedient as Christ was obedient. The joy of knowing that you are just like Jesus. That's what obedience brings. It brings joy that cannot be robbed from you. You can be going to your cross. You can be going to the stake to be burned. And you can go with joy knowing that you are doing God's will. That, that joy right there brings peace like no other. It brings peace that, that before you were troubled in your mind. You were troubled. You were, you were so wor- worried about everything. You had so much weight and so much anxiety about everything. That joy from doing God's will will erase all of that. You'll finally be like a kid again at the foot of the cross, willing to do whatever, whatever to please you, Father. You know, when you, when you set your heart to do that, when you set your heart to, to, to crucify yourself, to make yourself already dead, there you will find life. There you will find that life that you're longing for. There you will find that, that stirring of your soul that you, you search for all the time. It's not found in more books and it's not found in you know, extensive reading plans and all that thing. It's found in doing God's will. It's found in being a doer. Isaiah 58, 13-14. Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. It says, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a what? A delight. And the Lord's holy day honorable. And if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. If you keep your feet, if you keep your feet from breaking God's commandments, if you keep your feet from doing your own will, then you will find joy again. You will find joy and honor in not going your own way. 
Can't say much about. I can't. I can't say any more about that. The Lord is the the word is explicit on it. Let's go. We're going to share a, a, a last a couple last few verses. We're going to go to Romans six verse twenty three. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, then you will find joy in doing the commands of the Lord. Romans 6. Let's actually start in verse 5. We'll start in verse 5. If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Everyone knows this. But move up. Move up. And to verse 4. We're backtracking a little. If we've been united with Him in a death like His, we'll be united in a resurrection. But look what verse 4 says. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism and into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a what? New life. Do any of you want that new life? Does any of you want the life that Jesus came to live when He said, I came to give you life and life more abundant? I tell you, that doesn't mean that Jesus is going to give you yachts and boats and money and cars and, and everything like that. What it means is that deep in your soul, He is going to give you life. True life, true joy, true satisfaction. Any of you long for that? You can live a new life every day in Christ through through His living out His death daily. You can live, you can walk. In In the ESV it says you can walk in newness of life. That means it reoccurs every day. It means it doesn't have to get old. It doesn't have to stop. You don't have to wake up one morning and all of a sudden feel like it's, it's an old thing that you've been involved in. It can be new every day. You just have to look for the opportunities to die to yourself. And we've stopped doing that because we have gotten uncomfortable somewhere. Somewhere along the road. Philippians 3.10. This ties right on in. Philippians 3.10 says, Paul's saying, after all these things that we've discussed, after all these things that we know about us being di- uh, dead with Christ and being resurrected with Him, after all of His sufferings, after all of His experience, after all of His being content with little, this is what Paul says. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. He's saying, I want to know it more. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. That means every day I want to know Him, on, not just the Jesus that, te- that tended to the sheep and you know in the fields. I want to know the Jesus that went to the cross in perfect submission to His Father. I want to know the Jesus that did the will of God over His own, own will. And I want to know Him through His sufferings. Elsewhere, Paul says, I, I desire to fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. He could say that because he knew what that meant for him. He knew that that meant even though it would crucify his own, even though it would, they, would, they would torture his own body, even though he would lose everything, he knew that it would bring the life that came only through the gospel, the internal life, the spiritual life, the resurrection of his heart, the resurrection of, of who he is. He knew that the law brought death. 
He knew that vain sacrifices brought death. He knew that religion and everything of it brings death. And if you don't, and if your heart is not right before God and you're doing those things, you will die too. Even in Matthew 7, Jesus said, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things in your name? And he'll say, I never knew you. I never knew you. I want to be known by Christ by me walking out like he walked. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ in his sufferings. I want to know the fullness of Christ. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. And that can only come in me dying. That can only come in me dying. It can't, there's, there can't be two men on the throne of your heart. There can't be men or women. There cannot be two people on the throne of your heart. You can't be on there and Jesus be on the, on the throne with you. It won't happen. Either he is Lord or he is not. Either he is, on, he is everything or he is nothing. There is, no, there is no teaching found in the Bible that you can, you can have so many different things going on in your life. You can have this ministry and you can have you know, this group of friends and this hobby and this thing and then add Jesus at the top and everything's okay. Either it's all about him or it's nothing. Either it's all about walking out his crucifixion or it's nothing. Hebrews 12.2. We're going to see the motivation for Jesus. The motivation for Jesus and the motivation for us. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him, he endured it all. What's before you tonight? Is there anything on the other side of your suffering? Are you just, are you just coming... I mean, what's your motivation for even for, for being here? What's your motivation for being a Christian? What's your motivation for following Jesus? Is your motivation the joy that comes from doing his will? Or did that just kind of phase out? Ask yourself, friends, have I lost my joy? Have I lost it? Jesus went to his death, as we read earlier, abandoned by, his, by everyone he had ever known, falsely accused, for, for trying to minister to the people that he was called to minister to. It's a reality that will happen in some of your lives. It's a reality that, that should happen every day. It should happen. You being faced with trials and you should go to it with joy, not with, not with you know, being somber, not with sadness, not with gloom because you have to, but with joy because you get to. This, 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 this message... You know, for those of you, those that want to stay comfortable, this message is, I mean, those of you who want to stay comfortable, this message is uncomfortable. But for those of you, those of you, you want, you want that life, you know, like, like in Job says that even at the scent of water, a tree will, will, will come to life. You know, if you, if you've been dry down in your soul, if you've been uh, empty, if you've been feeling like you're in a desert. Ask yourself, how have you been suffering? For, how have your sufferings been? Have you done it just begrudgingly? Have you done it with an attitude? Have you done it complaining? Or do you look at every opportunity as, as, as I get to suffer for the name? That's how, that's how Peter and John can jump out rejoicing after they had just gotten beaten because they, they, they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name. If you live up a lifestyle, if you, if you live up a lifestyle of daily 
daily being crucified to your own will, then it becomes a, a crown and a trophy to actually get to do it once and for all. But if you're not doing that, if you're not doing that every day, you're going you're gonna to look at that day with terror and dread. You're going to look at that day counting the minutes and trying to live them to the, to the fullest so that you can live your lives the most you want until you have to give it over to Jesus. You know, Paul considered to live as Christ and to die as gain. Every moment we have, every moment we have is his anyway. You know, who gave you the breath in your lungs? <laughs> you can't even breathe on your own. You just can't do it. He gave you the breath in your it's, it's his anyway. Let's give it back to him. Let's give back every effort that we have to the one who gave it to us, and let's give it back to him. And you know what? He doesn't just... I, I'm speaking tonight about the reward that you can have while you're on this earth. We can have reward in suffering. We can have joy in suffering. But it also will amount to a reward in heaven if you do it right. If you do it right. And hear, hear what I just said. If you do it right. You can suffer. You can make yourself suffer in this life. And you know what Jesus will say? You get, the, you get your reward. You're, you're getting your reward now. He said that about the Pharisees. They made themselves suffer. They fasted. Jesus said they already have the reward. I don't know about you. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that I have my reward now. But I do want to be rewarded with his presence. Let's go to Hebrews 10, 32, verses 36. Hebrews 10, 32. said, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that yourselves, that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. You've got to love the writer of Hebrews. He's reminding them with their earlier days. I like to think about the earlier days when I first received Jesus, because at that, that time, the, the revelation of who he was was so new. It was so new, I would have given everything for it. I would have done anything. It, it, it didn't faze me at all. When I was at work, it didn't, it didn't hurt me at all to you know, have to do all of the extra things that my boss wanted me to do, even though he was already keeping me late. It didn't, it didn't bother me because I knew that I had a better possession. I knew that I had a better possession and that is in Christ Jesus. It didn't hurt me when I, when I had to give things up for the gospel. I did it. I did it with joy. It says here, remember when you, when you accepted, when you joyfully accepted the plundering of your possessions. Do you remember those days? Do you remember a day 
When you were saved and you joyfully went through trials because you knew that it brought you closer to Christ, it brought you closer to the throne. Now let's, let's ask ourselves, what happened to those days? What happened to them? You surely, won't go to, you surely won't die for the gospel. You surely won't be in a crowd with Hindus that are, that are wanting to beat you and you won't be doing it rightly until you have learned to suffer every day for Jesus. Until you've made a, a habit of suffering. Until you've considered yourself dead already every day. You surely won't do it then if you're not doing it now. So search yourselves. We're gonna, sure, we're going to enter into a time of worship but you need, to, you, need to, you need to look at it this way. This is a call to come and die. To come at the foot of the cross and die all over again. But this isn't a call to, to live inside of a burden. This isn't a call to live inside of uh, begrudging obedience. This is a call to come find the joy of your life. This is a call to come find treasure. This is a call to come find Christ. This is a call to come find newness of life. This is a call to come and take your old heart covered in cobwebs that needs to feel like a baby's heart again and come wash it at the feet of Jesus. This is a call to come tell Him, Lord, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that I have complained and murmured about what You have called me to do. And Lord, I want to suffer for You, Lord. I want to do it because You're worthy. You're worth it. And it gets to show my love for you and me doing it. So we're going to enter into a time of worship. And if you need that, if you need to just come, you know, let's not make a big scene. But if you need to come and, and, and just get in front of the Lord for a while, speak to Him as your friend. If you hadn't done that in a while, do it. Speak to Him as if He was, if he, if he was your friend right here, right now, and tell Him, Lord, I have been selfish, pitiful, and totally lacking your vision in my life. Lord, I'm not sure if I can go to a crucifixion like your son did. I don't know if I can truly say, not my will, but your will be done. I don't know if I can consider myself dead, Lord. Lord, would you please come, would you please come take away? Would you please come help me crucify my own flesh? Would you please come help me renew my mind so that I can see you rightly and see that you are worthy of all my sacrifice? If you need to do that, come. We'll enter a time into a time of worship. I'll be here with you guys and we'll just pray together. We'll worship together until we feel the Lord moving us in such a way that we are ready to die tonight. Amen.